It's good to be with you guys. We've been in St. Louis for about six months now, and we have spent all six months in the city location. So it's great to get out of the city and into the suburbs. Great to be here with you in Kirkwood. Great to have these massive, bright, shining lights on my face. (laughs) But uh, we were able to sit around the Thanksgiving dinner table this last week with a couple of our good friends. A friend I went to college with lives here in St. Louis, was recently married, and for the first time, our family got to get together with their family to eat dinner together. We each went around the dinner table in turn, giving thanks for something that we appreciated in 2017. As we talked, I was reminded of our two-year-old son's very first prayer. He is a notoriously slow eater. It might take him an entire hour to eat five pieces of chicken, which was really difficult at bedtime because we're tired. We're trying to get him to sleep. If he doesn't get full, he wakes up in the middle of the night, and it's bad news for everybody. We discovered these great little things that are basically baby smoothies in a packet. It's pureed baby food, which is really nasty, and a four-ounce packet that he can just put in his mouth and suck down. He get five of those things in his belly in about two minutes instead of five pieces of chicken in two hours. So we utilize these things nightly, especially as he was turning age two. One day at the dinner table, we're getting ready for our family prayer, and he interrupts. He puts his hands together. He bows his head and closes his eyes, and he says, Dear Lord, thank you for mommy and daddy. And then struggling to find something else to be thankful for, he opens one squinty little eye, sees something on the table that he prizes, and he yells, And pack it! Amen. We had a good packet-filled dinner that night. The dinner table was an occasion for our son to give thanks. It's something that gave his heart great joy. Thanksgiving and Advent are also an occasion for us to give thanks because it fills our lives with joy as it prepares us to receive Jesus Christ, our Savior. Our text this morning is Psalm 107. This psalm uh, is a recording of the history of the people of Judah. The nation of Israel is divided into 12 tribes, the tribe of Judah being one of them. And in this passage, the tribe of Judah has been exiled from their homeland because of their sins against God. The psalm celebrates a time in which God brought the people of Judah back to their homeland by his grace to them through some people that he raised up to lead them. Verses 1 through 3, command the people to give thanks to God. And the next 40 verses of this passage uh, explain time and time again why the people of Israel should give thanks to God. And the focus is entirely on God's goodness. Verses 1 through 3 are an umbrella of thanksgiving for the next 40 verses that follow. We'll begin in verse 1. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. The word for thanks here is a Hebrew word, yada. It means to revere or to worship. It means to stand amazed at God's greatness. The idea of the word yada is that we see something about God that is so valuable to us that we consider it worth giving thanks to him for it. Every single one of us have something in our lives that we value that way. For some, it's our family. For others, it's our health. For some, it's our children. For a two-year-old, it's a packet. There's another word in the Greek called eucharista, not used here. The root word of that word is charis, which means grace. Grace is an unearned, undeserved gift of God. You didn't do anything for it, 
God just wanted to give it to you out of his own kindness and goodness. The idea behind the word Eucharista is that we have a growing awareness of God's grace that prompts gratitude in our hearts. The thing about gratefulness or thankfulness is that we don't give thanks for something that we do for ourselves. We give thanks for something that is done for us or to us. My two-year-old son loves to play with toys. He has toys spread out all over the house, and he knows exactly where each and every toy is. When he's done playing with one toy, he either leaves it where it is, or sometimes when he's being responsible, he'll put it back where it goes. And then he goes running off to the next part of the house, he grabs himself another toy, and he continues playing. When our son does that, he doesn't say, thank you, Valor. He just plays because he did it for himself. But when we, we get ready for dinner, he sits at the dinner table and he watches my wife prepare for him a meal. She cooks the food, she puts it on the plate, she sets the plate before him. The first thing that comes out of his mouth almost every night at dinner is, thanks for making dinner, mama. Because my son intuitively knows that you give thanks when somebody does something kind for you. That's what gratitude is. It's an awareness of grace that causes our hearts to be thankful for God's goodness. Now, at face value, depending on your circumstance in life, you might be asking, why should I give thanks to God? What has he done for me? If we look beneath the surface, however, we see verses like Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, that say, God makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. The sun rises and the sun sets. No one in this room makes it do that. The rain falls and the sun dries up the rain. None of us have the power to make the world do that. Our heart beats beyond our control. The breath in our lungs is a gift from God. Everywhere we look, God is giving us good gifts to be thankful for, whether we're good or bad, whether we've done something to earn it or done something that doesn't deserve it. God's grace is all around us. It's in the rising sun. It's in the sunset. It's in the wind and the trees and the leaves. It's in food on our table and friends around the table. And you might say, but I earned that. I made money and I bought a house and I painted it and I decorated and I put furniture in it. And I'm the one who who made the garden, and I'm the one who put the flowers in the garden bed, and I'm the one who did all this stuff for myself. But even in that, we cannot forget God is the one who chose us for, to, chose for us to live in this day and time. God is the one who chose for us to live in the 21st century where we have houses and gardens to put flowers in. God is the one who chose for us to live in a day and time where we have retirement plans and 401ks and benefits packages. Everywhere we look, all around us, we have reason to give thanks to God for his goodness. Now the first part of this verse tells us what we should do, give thanks. The next part of verse 1 tells us why we should do it. It says specifically, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The word good here implies both benevolence and providence. Benevolence means that God does something good for you even when you don't deserve it. 
In fact, it goes beyond that to say God does something good for you when you deserve for him to do something bad to you. The idea of providence is that God is always at work in our circumstances, using those circumstances for our good, even if the circumstances themselves are not good. The idea of God's steadfast love is exactly the same. God's steadfast love is his relentless, unwavering commitment to our well-being no matter what. No matter whether or not we've been good or bad, whether we deserve it or don't deserve it. It's his commitment to do us good, not because we are good and not because our circumstances are good, but because he is good. The psalm clearly emphasizes that our reason for giving thanks is because we have a good God who is relentlessly committed to our well-being. If we look at this passage, we see that the people of Judah fall into four different categories. And in all four of these categories, something bad happens to them after they've been exiled from their homeland. If we look beginning in verse 4, it says, Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry he fills with good things. This group of people have been exiled from the land of Judah, and they wander in barren places. There's no food, there's no water, there's no shelter. They're exposed and in danger of their lives. Yet it calls for them to give thanks, because in their trouble, God shows up, and in his goodness, he satisfies their souls. They're to give thanks, not because their circumstance is good, but because their God is good. If we look at the next verse, verse 10, it says, Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and out of, out of the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. This particular group of people, when they have been exiled from their homeland in Judah, they sit in darkness. That's a representation for the fact that they have been oppressed by a foreign nation who has treated them poorly and harshly who has taken them captive away from their homeland, who have starved them and beaten them and treated them so very poorly. Yet it, it calls for them to give thanks to the Lord because God delivered them from their oppression. This psalm calls them to give thanks not because their circumstances are good, but because their God is good. If we look at the next section, we see in verse 16, sorry, verse 17, some were fools through their own sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them, and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving, and tell of his deeds and songs of joy." 
this particular group of exiles, they're facing the consequences of their own sin. They've disobeyed God. They've rebelled against him, doing the very things he said not to do, failing to do the things that he said to do. And now they're facing the consequences. Yet it calls for them to give thanks to the Lord because he delivers them from their own foolish ways. It calls for them to give thanks, not because their circumstances are good, but because their God is good. And the next section says, Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people, and praise him in the assembly of the elders. This group of exiles... They went across the sea looking for business, for a better life for them and their families after they had been exiled from their homeland. Yet they were caught in the storm of the sea, fearing their own lives. Yet God, in his goodness, delivered them to safety. The psalm calls them to give thanks, not because their circumstances are good, but because their God is good. I want you to notice that in all four categories... The exiles were in bad circumstances. And in all four instances, it calls for them to give praise because their God is good. We see that in verse 8 and in verse, 20, verse 15, verse 21, and verse 31, which all say the same thing repeated four times over. It says, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. I don't know about you, but I can relate to the exiles. There have been times in my life where I have found myself in difficult circumstances where the last thing I wanted to do was give thanks to God. Actually, the last two and a half years of our life has been that way. My wife and I have two wonderfully amazing children. We have a son who's two and a half named Valor and a daughter who's nine months today named Sylvie. Both of our children are wonderful. We love them. They're smiley. They're happy. They have great personalities. They enrich our lives with joy. But both of our children had a very difficult first year of life. Our son was born with colic, which basically meant stomach issues that caused him to cry uncontrollably in pain for anywhere from 6 to 12 hours a day for five months straight. We got through that. We had a two-month window. That was pretty good. And then he had an ear infection, and he was given antibiotics. Those antibiotics produced in him food sensitivities, foods that he could once eat, he could no longer eat because they would make him wake up in the middle of the night crying in pain. He, uh, those, the antibiotic caused him to be sensitive to everything that had dairy and everything that had wheat. It even caused him to be sensitive to several fruits and vegetables, which meant that his diet was basically reduced down to some milk and some vegetables. It wasn't a very appealing and it wasn't very satisfying. And I don't know if you know this, but if you look at the labels of just about everything on the supermarket shelf, 
It all contains massive amounts of dairy and wheat. We did everything we could to eliminate dairy and wheat from his diet, but there are some things that disguise dairy and wheat under crazy names that we couldn't even pronounce. And so he would inevitably, once or twice a week, wake up in the middle of the night screaming for two to three hours in pain. We could do nothing to help him and nothing to make it stop, just endure insanity-inducing screaming. That lasted until he was probably about 15 months. Then at 19 months, our daughter Sylvie was born. Sylvie was born with reflux, which means every time that you lay her down on her back or her stomach, stomach acid forces its way up into her throat, burning her throat, causing her to spit up, and resulting in hours of screaming and pain. Every night for the first five to six months of Sylvie's life, we would endure two to four hours of nonstop, uncontrollable screaming because every time we tried to put her to bed, she would wake up screaming like she was possessed. We kind of thought we got through that, started going down better every night. But then she started waking up in the middle of the night and every night for a month or more, from 2 a.m. to about 5 a.m., she would wake up screaming in pain. There's nothing we could do to help her. There's nothing we could do to make it stop. We felt totally helpless and hopeless. It got to the point where I dreaded going to sleep at night for fear that I would finally get some rest only to be awakened to terrible screaming. And uh, I got to the point where I began to identify with King Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 17. He writes, So I hated life because... What is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. There's nothing we could do to prevent the screaming. We didn't know when it would start. We didn't know how long it was, would last. We didn't know what to do to make it end. We just had to endure. I got rather grumpy, complained a lot, at least inwardly to myself, kind of got resentful towards God and towards life altogether. A lot of people started telling me, hey, you don't smile much. To which I want to say, come over to our house for 24 hours. I don't really know what's happening. Maybe you can identify for us why I'm not smiling very often. But then, at about seven, uh, when Sylvie's about seven months old, screaming in the middle of the night for two or three hours at a time, I felt like I was ready to go to a padded room. And I was convicted by the Holy Spirit that I was complaining. I was prompted to give thanks to God. And in my heart, I was like, why? Why should I give thanks? This is the most miserable thing I've ever experienced. I watched my dad die in front of me when I was 22 years old. Stood out in the middle of the hospital hallway, looking into the room where he was at and watched his life leave his body. And what we've gone through the last two and a half years has been far worse than that experience. I thought, why should I give thanks for this? What good is this for me? But wanting to be a good, obedient Christian, I thought, all right, maybe I should try this out. So I knelt down next to her crib, and for two hours while she screamed, I began to give thanks to God. I began to thank God that he was bigger and better than my situation. I began to thank God that he's able to do something about my situation. And if he's not going to change my situation, I began to thank him that he's able to change me. 
I began to thank him for being with me in a hard time in my life, that he hadn't left me or forsaken me. I began to thank him that he was going to somehow use this for my good, even if I didn't see how. I began to thank him that one day she would grow out of this and it would be over. I didn't know when, I didn't know how long we'd have to endure, but I knew that one day it would get better. And I began to thank God for that. I began to thank God that this was not the way that he intended for it to be, that he intended for us to live in a world free of sin, free of pain, free of death, free of darkness. And I began to thank God that this was simply the effects of sin on fallen humanity and that it would one day not be this way any longer. I began to thank God that Jesus was coming again to free the world from sin and its effects, that one day there would be no death, there would be no crying, there would be no screaming babies. I began to thank God that he was in this situation and that he was good, even if my circumstance wasn't. You know what happened? I began to say with Paul in Philippians 4.4 that I could rejoice in the Lord always. Well, my daughter was screaming next to me for two hours straight, my heart was suddenly strangely happy. You see, your gratitude is directly proportionate to your awareness of God's grace. Meaning that the more you see that God is good, the more you'll be grateful for his goodness. But there's something else that's true as well. Your gladness is directly proportionate to your gratitude. Meaning you're only as joyful as you are thankful. We somehow know, our our general response is that when we're happy, we give thanks. We have a good time, we have a good experience, we get a good gift, so we thank God or we thank that person for it. But what we fail to realize is that the opposite is also true. That when we give thanks, we'll actually find ourselves happier. When we look at the glass half empty, we're prone to depression and complaining. But when we begin to thank God that the glass is half full, he ends up filling the cup with joy. You see, this passage calls us to give thanks not because our circumstances are good, but because God is good. Are you in a barren place right now? Spiritually dry? Longing for life in your inner being? Hoping that somehow you will come to a place in life where you're finally satisfied? Give thanks because God satisfies the longing soul. Are you sitting in darkness right now? Are you depressed about your life circumstances, about your finances, that relationship, that fight with your spouse, situation with your kids? Are you oppressed by an employer or a spouse? Give thanks, because God is the one who bursts our bonds apart, who sets us free, who heals us. You find yourself this morning with the consequences of your sin weighing heavy upon you, burdened by the things you've said and done or by the things that you've failed to say and do. Give thanks, because God heals and delivers us from our own destruction. You find yourself this morning in the storms of life, tossed back and forth by circumstances that are chaotic and beyond your control. Give thanks because God stills the storm and hushes the waves.
This passage focuses on all of God's goodness to prompt thankfulness in our hearts. But the best reason is found in verses two through three. Let's take a look. Passage says, verse two, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. The word redeemed means to be brought back. The people of Judah were far from God, exiled because of their sin. Yet God brought them back to the land of Judah. God brought them back to himself. The Bible records of three peoples, Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah, whom God raised up and used to bring the people of Israel back to himself, to redeem the people of Israel. This is God's primary reason for us to give thanks to him, that he is a God who redeems. In the 1998 film, Saving Private Ryan, four brothers of the same family go out to World War II. Three of those four brothers die, and their mother receives the news of all three deaths on the same day. One son is still left in war, And the U.S. military decides it is unacceptable for four brothers to die in a war like that. So they commission eight men to risk their lives going into the worst part of the war at the worst time of the war to bring one man back to his family, Private Ryan. The entire movie records the the challenges that these eight men face, bombs and bullets, sleepless nights and warfare, cold and, and damp. Afraid, alone, going into battle to bring Private Ryan back home at the cost of their own lives. They were redeeming Private Ryan. They were bringing Private Ryan home. That's what God did for the people of Judah to prompt thankfulness and joy in their lives. And that's what God does for us too. The people of earth are scattered all across our neighborhoods, our cities, our state, our country, and our world. We are all exiled from God because of our sins committed against him. We are far from him, alone, spiritually lost and wandering, in need of redemption. God sees us far from him, and he refuses to accept that. So he sends Jesus Christ into our world to redeem us, to bring us back to himself through the cross. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 through 14 says that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We were exiled from God because of our sin. So God brings us back to himself by exiling his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Jesus was exiled so that when we believe in him, we could be brought back. Jesus was cast out so that when we believe in him, we could be brought near. Jesus was our ransom so that when we believe in him, we could be redeemed. Do you need a reason to give thanks to God this morning? Look at the cross. Do you need to see God's goodness and steadfast love for you this morning? Look 
at the cross. Our world is totally disordered and totally dysfunctional because sin is present in humanity. We know this spiritually because we feel empty and lonely and lost even when we've got all the money and the best job and a great retirement plan. Even when we've got friends and lots of meaningful things in life, we still feel this disconnect from God because of our exile. We experience the disorder and the dysfunction of our exile in our relationships through tension between the races, broken homes, and grudges. We experience the disorder and the chaos of sin in our fallen world, mentally, in our health issues, with depression, mental illness, cancer, and all kinds of medical diagnoses. We experience the chaos and the disorder of sin in our fallen humanity in every area of our life. We feel the weight of our exile. Yet it is at the cross when we look at Jesus hanging there that we can believe with confidence that God is restoring our fallen world back to himself, beginning with our broken lives when we trust in Jesus Christ. Look at the cross this morning. Behold your Redeemer and give thanks to God. Because a growing awareness of God's goodness and grace towards you in Christ will prompt thankfulness in your heart and fill your life with joy. This verse, or this passage ends with verse 43, which says, Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. That's my prayer for you this morning. That you would attend these things. That you would consider the steadfast love of God towards you in Christ. And that you would give thanks to the Lord. Let's pray.